So I thought I'd start out by um, talking a little bit about suffering because I had an interesting conversation yesterday that um, got me to thinking about it a bit. And it's one of those words that um, if you're a Buddhist or if you've been thinking about doing Buddhist practice or if you've been hanging out in the Buddhist world, which most of you have been, um, people often carry kind of erroneous ideas around about it. For example, there's a very common notion that um, what they, what we teach in the Buddhist world is that life is suffering, which sounds really grim. And most people who hear that go, oh, well, you know, I sort of know that, maybe. But it's not always suffering, and I'm not so interested in a practice that talks just about suffering. So, the Buddha used this word dukkha. D-U-K-K, either A or H-A, depending on which system you're, you're using. And the word dukkha means that things are out of ground. So it's like if you're pulling a cart, like a little red wagon, and one of the wheels has a flat side, and every time you go around, it goes kapunk. Or I like to think of those shopping carts that really annoy me in the grocery <laughs> store where something's a little odd. And so it just, no matter what you do, it can't quite drive straight. And every now and then a bad wheel kicks in and then the, you know, the, the cart seems to have a mind of its own and it goes off in some direction. So, and that's the root of the word, is this out of roundness. So it's pointing toward the notion that we don't ever get to a place where things are beautiful and round and smooth and stay that way. At least not in this world of time and space. So if you thought you were going to get there, <laughs> give up. And you know, I always think when I talk about this stuff, I think, oh, back about... 20 years, I guess, maybe a little less than that, because I think I already started teaching. Every now and then I would go on one of these binges, and I'd sit down with my journal and my apartment book, and I would think, if I only get this all arranged just right, then my life will start feeling comfortable and smooth and easy, and it will be perfect. And I never got it. I finally gave up, actually. I never got it just right, because I couldn't. It can't be. So it's, it is out of ground, and some of its out of groundness is there is what's known as dukkha dukkha, which is a great term, because that's the, that's the pain. That's the place where your body hurts, or you get sick, or your relationship comes to an end, or whatever. It, it's kind of given in our lives. And I, so I think the word suffering gets very tricky because it's too, it's too big of a word. So there is in 12-step work a saying that says pain is required and suffering is optional. Oh, that's a little closer to the Buddha's teaching, actually. That there is this dukkha dukkha, there is body pain, there is the broken heart, there is the fact that we're all going to die. It's, you know, it's difficult. 
And it just is. It just is. It's part of the deal. So one way, you know, those folks who say, well, the Buddha says life is suffering. In a way, they're kind of right, but in another way, of course, they're not. Because as he said over and over again, I come to teach about the nature of suffering, and I come to teach the ending of suffering. So the place that he's very interested in is that place where we get attached. And you have to think of attachment as all in the relationship world, it's probably like possessiveness. In the world of intoxicants, it's addiction. Um, some people have used the image when I've talked to them about Velcro, it just sticks, it's sticky, it's very sticky. So it's not, it's not the healthy attachment you would have for your child or even for your own well-being. It's that place where it has to be a particular way or I'm upset. And so I, I have to have this, I don't want that, my daughter must do this, whatever. And, and so the Buddha says, when we do that, when we create that attachment, that's where the suffering is. So he's saying, really, like you might already have pain in your body. And it's pretty uncomfortable, you know, if you have pain in your body. And that's bad enough, you know, you've been shot with the pain arrow. But he said, what happens is often we pick up this other arrow that has to do with wanting it to be different, and we stick it in. You know, like, not only do you have the pain, but then you have all this stuff that's not about not wanting. Now, you could say, well, does that mean I can't hope? You know, hope is is another tricky word. It's English, it's not poly. And, you know, that I can't want for things to be different. And I don't think that's what the Buddha is talking about. Of course, if you see huge social suffering, if you see someone who is ill or wounded, you do what you can in order to change things. And having to have it be different in this very moment is the place where the suffering comes in. Can you see that? It's very, it's a very subtle place. So it's not that, for example, um, it's it's not that you read about starvation in our country and just go, oh well, it is the way it is, and sit back in your armchair and be comfortable. That's not what the Buddha is talking about. What the Buddha is talking about is you see the suffering and you can look straight at it. It is the way it is in this moment. Fussing about wanting it to be different in this moment isn't going to change it. You can't change this moment. It's already here. But when we can sit with it in this very moment as it is and really take in the pain, that's the place that then skillful response can arise. Oh, what I can do is this in order to heal the situation, in order to make it better, in order to end it, whatever. So, so sometimes there's that sense that, well, you're not supposed to hope. And of course, the trick about hope 
or wanting it to be different, is that if you're not careful, you slide over into attachment, right? Because not only do you hope for it to be different, you're really attached to being different. So you have to keep, my own sense is you have to keep monitoring yourself all along. You know, okay, where is this? Am I just working for change or am I attached? We've all been in lots of social situations, particularly um, maybe political social situations where people are attached to a certain kind of change and they make themselves really unpleasant. We all know that. The people who want peace and who get really angry because they're not doing peace their way, that kind of thing. And so, so we can see that that attachment is where the suffering arises. So I'm going to stop there because I'm interested in your response to this out of this conversation that I had yesterday. And um, see if you have questions or comments and then I'll keep going depending on what the question or the comment is. Because this is tricky. Please. You mentioned a healthy attachment, which must mean there's a concept of unhealthy yeah, so I mean, I'm yeah. Wondering how you distinguish the healthy, like for your child, for your child, yeah, yeah. It's, it's but it can become unhealthy. Also. Absolutely, absolutely. Because <laughs> do children do what we want them to do, or even even outside that, do their lives always unfold? Sometimes children get injured, they get ill, you know. And if you have an image of what kind of a child you're going to have, you know, I've often thought. We would all do better if we had the notion that our children come to visit us rather than that they're ours. Um, because we so often have ideas about how children ought to be. But should you want to nourish, feed, support, educate, all those things, absolutely. But every place, and it's, it's very subtle. So I think a lot of this around intimate relationships it goes, it's over here where it's healthy, and then it are healthy or not causing suffering. And then it very subtly slides over into possessiveness and honor. And then it slides back. It's kind of like that. You walk the line a lot, I think, as a practitioner in those places. Yeah. Does that help? Yeah. This makes sense. People who have 
you know, who have altered states of consciousness sometimes as they practice, the down, if they get very concentrated, the very downside to those is you get attached. You want your meditation always to be peaceful and quiet. And I don't know, anybody here always have a peaceful and quiet meditation? You know, I don't know anybody like that. So, so yes, you can get very attached to all of that. You can get attached to being good, and then your shadow shows up and you say something or do something that's not so skillful. Please. Well, this is sort of in the same line, but I was just noticing when I was sitting here today that I was feeling quite peaceful and had a lot of well-being. And then I could, I could see it sliding over, oh, aren't I wonderful? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which is its own kind of attachment, yes. Well, indeed. And it can also have a tinge of suffering in there, yeah. too. Yeah. I've been thinking a little bit about ownership lately. And that place, and I think that, aren't I wonderful? Boy, I'm doing really well. Look, Ma, no hands. You know, it's that place where we go, oh, I got it. Mm. And that's a kind of attachment. And almost invariably, the bicycle falls over, the meditation falls apart. It's, it's an amazing thing to see. Yeah. And then there's your suffering. Yeah. Yeah, too. Um, and then we'll stop. Maybe the last. This is probably the big one, but about hope. I, I read in, in some uh, Dharma books about you know, really discouraging the use of that word, even uh, sort of embracing hopelessness. You know, just to like totally let go any any sense of how you think it's going to be. And um, I haven't heard that much in the Vipassana tradition talk about hope. It does get talked about, and in a way, it's true. It's, it's a thank you because it really brings us full circle to what I was talking about as the set began with Eugene. Do we know how it's going to be? Never, never. And the, the erroneous thing with hope is always about the future, and there's always, there's often some picture of how it's going to be. Maybe, but maybe not. So, the, I, but the, the catches and the place, you can hear that teaching and go, oh, well, you know, is there no hope? Is there no hope for changing things? And, and so, you know, my own sense is we keep working for the well-being of all beings in any way that we can, ourselves and others, and know that whatever picture we have, maybe it's a picture, maybe it's a vision, it's helpful to have visions, but it will shift and change as time goes on. G and I were just, and Linda, were just at a design meeting for the library, this room in here, um, before we all started. We have a vision of what it would be wonderful if that room looked like, shelves and covers and not the kind of piggledy-piggledy thing that it is right now. And will it turn out like that? Maybe, you know, depends on whether there's money, depends on if there's not money, where the stuff comes from. You know, it could look, it might look piggledy piggledy for quite a while. If we get attached to the vision, we're going to suffer, you know. 
but we can have the vision as something to work toward and see how it unpacks itself and be willing to let go that's your other two really wonderful words if it turns out to be otherwise meetings are even useful we've done all right I think I'm going to stop there and